at the ball game. Yo! Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. We're here on Spotify, Apple, Google. We're at InsideOfBaseball.com as well. Uh, so check us out there. Full past episodes, free to non-subscribers. Baseball blog is there, too, if you haven't checked it out, if you're finding us on Spotify or Apple or Google. If you are, subscribe to us because we don't drop schedules on a regular uh, drop episodes on a regular schedule. So we want to make sure you get the episodes when they're fresh. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Skyla, Skyla Nambarski is with me this morning. I'm Lou Blassie from Fantastics and InsideOfBaseball.com. A lot of great stuff in here that will last and will stay on the shelf, but you want to get this as fresh as possible. Oh, yeah. Especially based on what we're talking about today, which is a continuation of our discussion from Fantastics this weekend, this past weekend, and I think our last podcast as well. What we've got to do is we've got to look at uh, players from different angles and hold them up to the lights because I think we rely too heavily on season-long stats, especially when we're getting into the waiver pool and playing with our rosters because it's important to know early when a player is getting hot because when he's getting hot, he's probably gathering playing time or he might be getting hot because he is gathering playing time. But there's been some kind of change there, whether it be a skill level, maybe the player just got hot, but it's probably skill level or playing time that has allowed him to make a bigger contribution. You want to get there before the rest of the league does. Yeah, definitely true. And that's uh, applicable whether you're talking about season long or whether you're talking about DFS. You want to get in while the pricing is down. You look at a player, oh, we'll talk about him later in the in the uh, podcast, but Teoscar Hernandez struggled coming off the IL, and then all of a sudden in the past week or two, he's started to perform like he performs. Uh, and he was, he was still in the mid-3,000s on DraftKings. And huge bargain for a guy that uh, produces like Hernandez. And you got to get in there quickly, and especially this year when we're seeing some just completely dichotomous levels of performance from April through mid-May and then from mid-May on. Right. And of course, the best example, there are a couple of examples is Trevor Story, who we were all fretting about at the beginning of the season. He's gone off and he's gone red hot. He's cooled off a little bit since. But the most recent example is Marcus Semyon, and we kind of anticipated this. He is number one on the way we ranked the uh, way we rank the hitters over the last 14 days. That's what we're looking at. Over the last 14 days for hitters, that's the angle that we're holding hitters up to at this point. And over the last 14 days, Marcus Simeon, who has lost before this, has been the most productive hitter in baseball. Uh, that includes last night, too. And uh, wouldn't you know, I'm playing against him this week in multiple <laughs> leagues. It's amazing. Yeah, well, those things will happen. I got Tommy Edmond last week, and that was not good at all. He just cost me a couple of columns there. But uh, yeah, you, that's the thing about week-to-week play. You just run into guys who are hot. But Marcus Simeon is a good hitter and a quality hitter, and he is, you know, he was stone cold at the beginning of the season. That's why it's important to not necessarily look at the season-long stats. You've got to look at it at different angles, different splits to get the full picture. Marcus Simeon is a strong offensive player again. Yeah, he is. And we still feel that he's going to be downgraded a little bit from last year because last year has every appearance of being a career year for him. Uh, But he still should be a very productive player, particularly at second base. So I don't really see, uh, I did see issues, uh, you know, cause for alarm a few weeks ago, but all of a sudden, whatever switch needed to flip has flipped. Uh, at least if the last week or two is any indication. And a lot of times we are talking about players. Marcus Semyon, this guy, is obvious. He's rostered in every place. I don't know how much that help is. To, that's helped anybody except for the fact don't trade him. 
or right. <laughs> or go trade for him if you if his owner is really down on him. But we're going to look at some players today who might even be available to you. And we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks too. We've been talking about compete level during the season in fantasy baseball, and you want to make the gains anywhere you can, and you take all the small gains that you can. We try to keep the bottom of the roster flexible that so you can ride hot hands and take advantage of some of these things you're about to pick out today. A great spot to do that is at catcher. And maybe you haven't even heard the name Alejandro Kirk, but (laughs) you should be be aware of him at this point. You better be aware of him. This is a kid, and uh, Lou and I were talking about this the other day, and I told Lou that I really expected this sort of breakout from Kirk last year. This is a player that, first of all, he's a catcher. We all know where the bar for offensive performance is there, so he, he clears that easily. But this is a catcher that walked more than he struck out all through the you know the first four years of his minor league career, came up a little in the COVID year and hit 375, slugging 583 in nine games for the Blue Jays. And everybody thought, oh, he's going to be fantastic next year. And he was okay. Uh, you know, it was roughly a sort of average performance offensively for a catcher. Um, which, hey, average is okay, especially when you consider the kid was 22 years old mm-hmm. and he's a plus defender behind the plate. So this is this is huge, but now we're seeing this year he's come out really hot. He's hitting 306, 389, 465 right now with 21 walks and 15 strikeouts and 144 at-bats, just really, really well above average, borderline elite contact ability. And not just that, his exit velocity is down a bit, but it's still over 90 miles an hour for a 23-year-old catcher that I would say ranks probably first. Uh, contact rates, 88%. Swing strike rates, under 5 He just has every appearance of being a top-five catcher for some time to come. And I think the Blue Jays have sort of an embarrassment of riches behind the plate, but he should be catcher A for them. And he's of interesting stature. He's he's short, but he's stocky. He's five uh, eight, two hundred and sixty five pounds. So there should be plenty of power there. And to go along with his contact numbers, and this is we're only three hundred at bats into his major league career. His swinging strike percentage is sub five percent at this point. His chase rate is sub twenty eight percent. He's obviously a quality hitter, and of course his walk and strikeout rates in the minor leagues, as you pointed out, tell you that he's hitting four eighty six over the last fourteen days with four homers and nine RBIs. He's just got it to this point. And as you said, a plus catcher, he's going to be in the lineup. He's just a quality hitter with power potential, and that's exactly what you're looking for here. It's just a matter of how comfortable he was going to get and how quickly, because as we we always think, that catchers' offensive development is delayed a little bit by their catching chores and what they have to do in major leagues to get ready defensively. Doesn't seem to be the case with, with this guy. No, not at all. And, um, you know, I, I can't stress this enough. This is a catcher doing this. You know, we have, I think, four or five five catchers that are positive offensive performers right now that have enough at-bats to qualify for the batting title. And Alejandro Kirk is second behind only Wilson Contreras. You know, this is a very, very valuable player that I know is on the waiver wire in some leagues still. All right. It's interesting you bring up Wilson Contreras because he's also on this list as well. He's number eight in the, over the last 14 days in uh, in uh, our uh, sorting on our leaderboard, and he's hitting 326 with five homers and nine RBIs. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, you know, with Kirk, people could be surprised if you weren't really looking at his minor league performances and the underlying data and all of that. But with Contreras, nobody's surprised. 
You know, he he was, I think, number two among catchers coming into the season behind JT Real Muto, who's been fairly disappointing at this point, but still ranked third among catchers because disappointing among catchers still gives you positive performance. Yeah, it's such right. a weak position. It it used to be catcher and second base, and now it's just catcher. I mean, catching is just there are so few catchers that catch more than sixty percent of the time that they become inordinately valuable. And Contreras is clearly one of those guys. He's played in 47 games already, already has over 200 plate appearances. I believe that is first among catchers right now. Has 10 homers. And, you know, he's up again in exit velocity this year. So he's really become a guy that he's not leaning on hitting a ton of fly balls to produce power. In fact, he's never been a big fly ball hitter, but he had huge homer to fly ball rates. He's a guy that could really benefit from a little bit more in terms of launch angle, he has for a catcher to have over a 50% career ground ball rate. And Wilson Contreras is not the slowest catcher in the world, but he's not fast. <laughs> so it just doesn't make a lot of sense for that to be his hitting style. He's a very good hitter. Uh, contact rate has surged above 80%. This, or, excuse me, that was uh, that's a different guy. Um, lots of ground balls and pop-ups are the problem. The fly ball rate is only about yeah, this year it's 37%, which is the highest of his career, but it's typically in the low 30s. So not what you expect from a home run hitter, someone that you expect to hit 20 to 25 home runs like Contreras. Uh, the thing I'm really impressed with, the hard hit rate has surged to 57% yeah. this, this year on the strength of a 12% barrel rate. He's really hitting the ball great. And 276 batting average, 515 slugging is what he has. StatCast says the expected data is 288 and 578. So he's been shorted a bit as well. And he's managed to make these gains by keeping the contact rate and the swing strike percentage relatively steady. So I think that he's making strides in the power department. There could be a little bit more. I know the launch angle has come up some, particularly mostly this year. But over the last three years, he's moved up three full degrees, which is quite a bit. And I think it'll ease the burden on him carrying these mid to high 20% homer to fly ball rates, which he is very capable of doing. Um, he won't have to do that to hit 20 to 25 homers if he continues to hit like this. His quality contact rates were eye-opening last year with a 92% a 92 mile per hour exit velocity, 48% hard hit percentage, and then it's just gone nuts this year. I mean, he's averaging 93.5 miles per hour on exit velocity. That's average. Yeah. And a 57% hard hit rate, as you mentioned. I mean, it's just off the charts, his offense at this point. Plus, again, he's a quality hitter. He's got a little swing and miss, but he's got that even a little bit more reined in this year than we've seen it in the past. A little bit of the swing and miss, 14%, like you said, a little bit of chase. He's even cut that down to 33%. It was 30% last year. He takes walks, however. So he's a quality hitter. He's got a good plate approach. And that power is just, I mean... I don't know where he's finding this extra power, but all of a sudden, like I said, on average, 93.5 miles an hour exit velocity. That's elite level exit velocity. It really is. Uh, you get above 92 and you're generally speaking in the top 10 or 15. And again, this is a catcher. These are very yeah. valuable players. But you go back all the way to the beginning of the StatCast era and Wilson Contreras had a 54% ground ball rate and a 27 and three quarter percent fly ball rate, but he still exhibited power because he had a 23.5% fly ball rate. The year after that was 26%. So this is a guy that has put up great homer to fly ball rates all through his career, and as he's been steadily increasing that fly ball rate, up 
in 2017, up 1.5% in 2018, up over 3% in 2019. Then he maintained that level basically for a couple more years. Then this year, he's up another 3%. So I think he's he's getting it. He's understanding what he has to do to provide the power that he wants to, but unfortunately, most of it is sort of coming at the expense of the line drive rate and not the ground ball rate, which is keeping the batting averages a little bit lower than I feel like he could post. I don't think we've seen the best of Wilson Contreras yet. I think there could be a year where he hits close to 300 and hits 30 homers. He just needs a few tweaks in terms of limiting the ground balls, but very valuable player, arguably the best catcher in baseball to this point. I think one of the big things about gauging his value is going to be the amount of at-bats he can accumulate. He's a guy who's put up 400-plus at-bats. He had 474 at-bats in 2018. Of course, he was 26 years old then. With the DH in the National League, if he could gather extra at-bats and get to 420, 430, 440, he's capable of 25 homers plus at, at that point. That's very valuable among the catchers, as you said, and we have to see how he hits well enough to actually take some of those DH at-bats, which a lot of catchers don't. So they're going to find ways to get him in the lineup, especially with this Cubs lineup the where it is where it is right now. So he could collect a really strong amount of at-bats this year, which would help his cumulative totals quite a bit. Yeah, you're definitely right. And he's on pace for over 500 at bats. So I fully expect without an injury that he'll set a career high this year because like you say, the Cubs can hide him in the DH slot. He's plenty talented enough of a hitter for them to justify that decision. So I do think that Wilson Contreras and other, the few other catchers of his ilk in terms of talent wise hitting like Alejandro Kirk, uh, having the DH slot available does allow them much more value than kind of your average catcher. So the catching position has sort of stretched itself out with the new rules in the National League this year to having that top tier of catchers that are good enough to justify using in a DH slot are much more valuable now instead of just somewhat more valuable than that middle tier. 33 games behind the plate so far for uh, Contreras and uh, uh, 13 games at DH. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I, he's a good enough hitter to take some DH at bats, which is going to expand his at bat totals, which is going to expand his cumulative totals, makes him a very valuable player at this point. It definitely does. And, you know, he's rested maybe once a week so far this season, maybe a little bit less than that. So I think that's the kind of performance that you can expect. And that's not typical for catching. So, uh, again, I can't stress this enough. The catching position was impacted, I'd say, as much as anything by this NLDH rule. Because your average catcher, I mean, Contreras plays a ton for a catcher. Hmm. He played 138 games in 2018. He played in all but three games in 2020. He played 128 games last year. That used to be the max for the position. And now you're looking at a catcher that's probably going to play close to 150 games if he stays healthy. It really just, it makes such a difference now to have a top tier catcher, even more so than it did before. Uh, another guy that we probably bypassed, Jock Peterson has been around, but we know he's a platoon player. That that seems to mentally cut into his value for us, and people tend to write him off because he is a platoon player, but he's a platoon player on the heavy side. He gets hot. He's been hot lately. He wasn't hot while I owned him, but <laughs> he was hot before I owned him, and he was hot after I owned him. He's had a good two weeks. He's been number three overall in offensive runs above average over the last two weeks. Yeah, he has. I mean, Jock Peterson went to a park that was somehow worse for home runs than what he had in L.A., where he hit 
you know, 100, 150, 145 homers or so over the course of seven and a half seasons. Uh, and he seems to love it. Uh, I don't know if he just likes watching the ball splash in the bay or what, but you know his exit velocity is up three and a half miles an hour. His barrel rate's twenty percent. It's otherworldly. Yeah, you know fifty five percent hard contact is just stunning. He's hitting two seventy three forty six five ninety one right now for a slash line, but Statcast says that he deserves in uh, quotation marks. 332 batting average and a 721 slugging, which is that's up in getting close to Aaron Judge territory. And the thing for Jack Peterson, the contact rate has always been an issue. But right now, there's some things going on here that are different. And I know it's still a little early to be making conclusions. He only has 137 at bats, but we're getting close. And he's managed a contact rate of 80%. Now, this is a guy that struggled to get above 70% this first few years. And it's kind of just hovered in the low to mid-70s for the most part since. So for him to be at 80.4% is pretty stunning. And if you look down at how that's happening, you'll find some really interesting things. He's cut his chase rate from last year's career high 35% back down to sort of the upper end of his range of the past four years at 32.3%. So his chase rate is down almost 3% this year from last. But his zone swing percentage is up 3%. So he's doing exactly what we want hitters to do. Swing less at pitches outside of the zone, Mm -hmm. swing more at pitches inside of the zone. And because of that, his contact rate is up over 4%. Swing strike rate is down another 2% this year, and he was down 2% last year. So now he's down to 9.4%, which is a career best at age 30. So is Jack Peterson finally figuring out what he needs to do to harness his pretty significant talent? Maybe. I think it's possible. This, these are the kinds of adjustments that you see made when either a hitter is totally locked in for some indetermin- undetermined period of time or they figured something out. Yeah, and I think in this case what we discovered, and if you look back over his chase rate as opposed to his swinging strike rate, when he chased 35% last year, his swinging strike was still only 116 It's not a contact issue with Josh. It's a chase issue with Josh. It's yep. defining the strike zone and getting the pitch that he wants. Some of that has to do with patience because he probably was working. I'll, I'd have to look into the numbers, but he was probably working himself into pitcher advantages in terms of counts, and hopefully now he's working himself more into hitter's advantages in terms of counts. The uh, quality of contact is off the charts here. I mean, it's just incredible. And it has to do with him zoning in and getting the pitches that he wants to hit. I think it's a, you know, change of scenery, change of teams. Uh, He was trying to do stuff with the Dodgers. Sometimes your home organization, it just, what they're talking to you about just kind of blanks out. He gets into a new organization. They tell him, you know what, get yourself in some counts, get some pitches you want to hit and drill them. He's always been a capable hitter. If he is zoning up, like you said, then that explains the increase in quality of contact to an elite level. It explains the drop in swinging strike percentage, and it, it explains his production so far this year. Yeah, it definitely does. And you go back and look at Jack Peterson when he was previously at his best, and he was a 25 to 35 home run hitter and about a 250 average hitter. And since then, he has the, uh, the batted ball dispersion has only improved. You know, the fly ball rates kind of stayed about the same. Line drive rate has crept up. And the pull percentage has come down, which is a plus. It's a plus for batting average. But 
the exit velocity has gone up significantly. Barrel rate is up significantly. Hard hit rate up significantly. All these things are power-based. So not only has he done things to improve his contact ability and thus the things that go into batting average, but he has also improved all the items that go into power. So to make those improvements in both segments that we care about sort of concurrently is unusual and impressive. Yeah, but we don't know. Again, we don't know if it's chicken or the egg. We don't know if he's locked in or he's doing well because he's, his approach has changed. No, we don't. And it will take some time to find that out. He has posted a 9.5% swing strike percentage back in 2017. So he's capable of this. And these are gains in his plate approach and his contact rate, but they're not they're not the type of gains that scream change of approach. So I'll be interested to see. I, and I've seen him, like I said, I've seen him at a couple points this year when he's been locked in and when he hasn't been locked in. Maybe he's just been locked in more than average. He's just enjoying his time on a new team, got off to a good start. Uh, they're putting him in situations where he can succeed against right-handed pitching, and and he's just taking advantage of it. This is going to cool off, I think, but he, he's a quality hitter, and I think it's just showing itself. I'll be interested to see if there are real gains here, and it's going to take us a little time to find that out. Find that out. Yeah, uh, the one thing that gives me hope that this is a legitimate skill set change and not just a hot streak is that the last time that he sort of focused on contact his exit velocity dropped quite a bit as it was clear to me that he was really trying to focus on contact. He had a lower pull percentage, lower fly ball rate, lower exit velocity, all the things that you associate with a hitter that was really trying to not strike out as much because that was the huge criticism about him early in his career with the Dodgers. Now this time the contact rate has improved while his exit velocity has gone up. The fly ball percentage has gone back up. So I think that this really speaks more to a hitter that has made some adjustment, particularly when you look at what he is swinging at, strikes versus balls. I really think that this is for real. And uh, 314, four homers, eight RBIs over the last 14 days, number three overall in offensive runs above average. And he's one of these guys who you you will find on a considerable amount of waiver wires, again, because there is this thought in in people's heads that he's a platoon player, and they kind of pass over him from that point. But he's a strong side platoon, and he's hitting very well right now. You can find a spot for him on the roster, make use of him, especially if you have daily transactions. Especially that, yes. But even in games where a lefty is starting, I think you'll find that he is pretty much guaranteed to be their top pinch hitter off the bench in those sorts of instances. So it's not like you're getting an empty day from him. He has actually hit a home run against a left-handed pitcher this year, too, So, in his 12th at bats. I think that's 8% of his career home runs against. It may very well be. (laughs) I think Brandon and I, we talked splits on on Sunday on SiriusXM, and I think it was one of 12 career home runs he has against left-handed pitchers or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. He's been uh, notably horrible against left-handed pitching in the past, but I would be curious to see what he could do with a little more time this year with these adjustments that he's made. Uh, Brandon and I did the Sirius XM show on Sunday and our subject at the time was platoon splits and, and how to use them and surprising players that you can handcuff with other players or that can be helpful to you. Jose Abreu splits this year. He has not performed well against right-handed hitters. He's not performed well generally, but this is basically Jose Abreu's profile. When the weather warms up, he warms up as well. We talked about this all through late April, all through early May. 
And basically, I think the conclusion that you and I came to, and I expect you and Brandon came to the same, yep. was buy Jose Abreu before May 15th every year, because that's the day that the light switch goes on. <laughs> it's every single year, like clockwork, and people complain, because you're getting into his mid-30s now, so justifiably, people get concerned. Well, is this the year the Jose Abreu falls apart? Oh my God, he's terrible again. Well, yeah, he's always terrible in April. Just leave him be. Yep. He'll be fine. The exit velocity is up again this year for a 35-year-old guy that already had a premium exit velocity. Hard hit rate's 56.5%. Somehow he's only hitting 260 and slugging 427. Statcast says he should be hitting 303 and, and slugging 576. So you take that for what it's worth. That's, uh, that's what he, quote, deserves. Um, chase rate's down 6.5%. The zone swing percentage, as we discussed with Jack Peterson, his zone swing percentage is only down 1.3%. So while he has been much more patient this year, he's been a little bit less more patient with strikes. So that's the kind of thing you want to see. Contact rate's up above 80%. His previous career low swinging strike rate was 10%. This year so mm -hmm. far, he's at 8.7. So during this really poor typical start for Jose Abreu, he's been making strides that are positive in terms of overall hitting. He just wasn't being rewarded for them at the beginning of the season. Yeah, so, the, question, the questions that the slow start brings up is, is this the start of the age decline? And everything that you would look for for age decline is giving you opposite readings. His He's not cheating. His swing strike is down. His chase is down. His pull percentage is down. Usually when players are declining on their skill set, all those things start to pop because they have to cheat. They have to make mm -hmm. decisions on balls earlier and get ahead of balls a little bit more as they get older. None of that is showing up with Abreu. Yeah, it's almost the exact opposite. Right. And he's been pretty steadily getting a smidge more patient through his entire career, but this year is pretty outlandish. Uh, and maybe it's that he wasn't just wasn't feeling it for the first four or five weeks of the season, so he was content to take a lot of pitches. But again, it showed up much more in taking pitches outside of the strike zone than it did in taking pitches inside the strike zone. So I'm not convinced that that's the story. I think he's just decided to become a little more patient. I do think that that's going to benefit him as a hitter. And really, for me, he does not show a whole lot of signs of slowing down. I mean, last year he had sort of an abnormally low BABIP, and it's just as low this year so far. So, you know, I really think that Jose Abreu is going to have a very typical season. The line drive rate's been down a bit the last two years. Yep. I think that's going to keep the batting average suspect a little bit. But other than that, I expect the power to continue to be there. I mean, the exit velocity going up again back to his – this is a, a new high. And the previous high was in the COVID year where, by the way, he hit 19 home runs in a little more than a third of a season. Yeah, so this is just Jose Abreu off to a slow start. There's nothing to indicate there's a degradation of his skills to any extent. So, you know, stay the course with Jose Abreu. Uh, I definitely feel that way. And I felt that way even through the horrible part before he started to surge. So – I think Jose Abreu is a great, a great, great hitter. All right. A surprise guy that might be hanging around in your free agent pools as well is Garrett Cooper. And he is uh, 10th overall in our listing this week of offensive runs above average, hitting 422 with two homers and 11 RBI over the last 14 days. Yeah. Garrett Cooper is a nice little hitter. I have owned him in some of my deeper leagues at times over the past few years because he gets hot and he's not the kind of guy that's going to carry a team because he doesn't have that kind of power. But he can be a really nice little piece for you. Previous career high is 15 homers, and I would sort of be surprised if he didn't exceed that this year. He's already got 14 doubles. Previous career high there was 16, and he's done this in 49 games. So 
you know, he, he's looking pretty strong and he's the kind of guy, the exit velocity has continued to go up through his major league career. First two years were very, very piecemeal, only 53 total batted balls in his first two seasons. But since he's become a full-time player, 89 mile an hour exit velocity, 90 mile an hour exit velocity, 91 mile an hour exit velocity, and this year's up another 10th. So I feel like he's sort of, this is probably the mature level of Garrett Cooper at age 31, uh, but only his fourth full season in the majors. Oft injured, so that's something that you're always going to have to pay attention to with him. But with a hard hit rate of 43.5%, a barrel rate of 11, which is trending towards elite, and a 91.2 mile an hour exit velocity, his expected slugging from Statcast is 505, so he's showing more power than he has really, except for the COVID year, in the past. And I, I really like Garrett Cooper, 8.2% career best swing strike rate this year. Chase rates below 30% for the first time. The line drive rate that he has of almost 29% actually supports that 388 BABIP that he has. Uh, so I wouldn't expect the average to drop all that much. I think Garrett Cooper is a high 200s hitter with the likelihood of putting up an ISO somewhere close to 200, which... It's a pretty valuable guy with first base and outfield eligibility. You listed a lot of indicator career highs, and the one career high that I think we should pay attention to at this point with Garrett Cooper is his 381 at-bats, which was a career high in 2019. He's not getting a ton of at-bats. And this year, again, another guy benefiting from the DH position in the National League. He's played DH position 23 times. He's played at first base 25 times. And this is a guy who's a enough of a quality hitter so that if you can get his at-bats over 400, start to get in that range, 450, 470, he's going to contribute on a decent level for you, especially at first base. And hopefully he's not your first baseman on your roster, but as a corner infielder, he's going to be a heavy contributor for you. It's just a matter of how many bats they can find for him. And with the DH in the National League, it looks like they, he could get to another career high in, in at-bats and get him to 450 at-bats, at which point he's going to be a decent contributor. Yeah, I think he is. And, and I'm not so sure that it's been the crowded nature of the corner and the corner outfield positions in Miami that has kept him from getting more at-bats over the last three or four years. Uh, I think it's been his own injury history that's kept yeah. him from getting at-bats. And, you know, we always say health is a skill, so that is that is the buyer beware part of Garrett Cooper. I do feel like he should be rostered in all formats, not only as hot as he's been, but just with his skill set. You know, he's never in a full season hit under 280. So that's clearly an area as batting average continues to decline over the last four years from the 250 range to the 240 range in terms of overall league median. Garrett Cooper is a clear, clear plus in that area, and he has plus exit velocity. So he is capable of being plus in contact and power, which is always what we're looking for from hitters. If he can stay healthy, and it's a huge if, yeah. I think he's going to be really valuable. But don't anticipate the injury. While he is playing and he's hitting well, he's a guy who could be rosterable and find a place in your corner infield slot, off days for your first baseman. And, you know, God knows some guys went in, in, into the season with first baseman where Garrett Cooper could be a plus or at least a relatively level replacement. Ride him while he's healthy. If he doesn't become healthy at that point, you can move on and do something else with the roster spot. But right now he's playing and he's healthy. Take advantage of it because he's a quality contributor. Yeah, he's not only a quality contributor, but he's shown gains across the board as he has played more since he finally broke into the majors for, for quote, good at 2019. Uh, so I, I really, I think Garrett Cooper is an excellent, excellent player that because we only have 1,000 to 1,100 plate appearances of information on him, kind of slides under the radar a little bit. 
Yep. And again, we have to keep reminding people with offense, except for batting average, which he's going to be a plus contributor. All the other columns are accumulative columns at bats are very crucial when it comes to valuing hitters. Yeah, definitely true. All right. Nelson Cruz is next up on the list. He's 13th overall in offensive runs above average over the last two weeks. He's hitting 385 with one homer and six RBIs. Yeah, good old Nelly, who's almost our age, Lou. <laughs> well, um, almost yeah, your age, yeah. yeah. Just we're in the same category, all right? Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> even this, the one thing that cautions me about this, and most of these guys that are on this list, I would pick up in a heartbeat. Nelly Cruz is the only one on the list that gives me a little bit of pause because even during this hot streak, his ISO is down 50% from basically the last decade of his career. So something is something still up with Nelly Cruz, and I always am looking for the cliff with players like this when they get to their late thirties. And there have been a couple false starts with Nelly Cruz, but really he's just been pretty consistent throughout his late thirties and, and into his forties. He's forty-one now, and he just isn't showing the same ability to elevate the ball that he has in the past. And even now that he started heating up in terms of batting average, that launch angle is still only 6.7. By far a career low. Yeah. Oh, easily, easily. And a guy at his speed, you don't want him putting it on the ground 52% of the time. Oh, goodness, no. That's like me hobbling around with my knee (laughs) trying to run out ground balls. The exit velocity is down substantially. He's been between let's let's throw out the COVID year. He's been between ninety two point six and ninety four point six in every year of the Statcast era, and it's kind of gone up and down a little bit. There hasn't been a real trend down, but this year he's ninety point two. Even after this hot streak has started, that's a pretty significant drop off, almost three miles an hour. I mean, he's still above average, but he's gone from elite to above average, and not only that, but career low fly ball rate, career high ground ball rate. Now, these are things you don't want to see from your slugger. So I am still a little worried about Nelly Cruz. The, the contact data, the chase data has all kind of stayed fairly similar. There's not been a lot of deterioration there. But you throw in the fact that in the Nationals lineup, you only have about half of a professional lineup in there. And I just, I don't know. I do like the fact that they brought up Luis Garcia. I think that gives them closer to two-thirds of a real Major League offensive lineup. But, boy, I, I, I see some signs here that I don't know that I would have Nelly Cruz on my roster in a shallow league. That looks like injury to me more than it looks like age. Because as I said, with age, usually that get, gets into cheating. And cheating is a higher pull, a higher pull percentage, higher chase rate, higher swing strike percentage because you have to make your decision a little bit earlier on the pitch. The ground ball rate coming up with a power hitter looks to be feels like injury to me. It's hard to say. I haven't never, I've never seen that profile on an age decline, or I can't remember seeing that profile on an age decline. It almost looks like something physical is going on. It's distinctly possible. You know, it would be a weird, weird way to decline to have just the power decline without anything else. Well, just go to that high, you know, your ground ball rate jumps. Yeah. That's not, that you, that's usually, usually not a decline characteristic. That's a, uh, obviously, usually it's a blow the waist characteristic in hitters as well, too. So, yeah, either that or a back issue. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you without having any knowledge about it. But there are plenty of here's the thing with Nelly Cruz, and it's hard to let go of Nelly Cruz because he's been such a productive hitter for so long. There are guys out there available who are producing as well as him that have a future that looks 
a little bit brighter or is a li- even a little bit more certain than Nelly Cruz at this point. I know people want to hang on to Nelly because, again, he's been a contributor for, you know, 20 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to let go. And everyone's, well, Nelly's going to be okay when things warm up. That ground ball rate has me a little bit concerned because that that's a change that, first of all, I can't quite put my finger on. But at 41 years old, it's something to be concerned about. Yeah, I agree, um, unfortunately. And he hasn't played an inning in the field since 2018. Actually, no, I take that back. I think he played an inning at first base <laughs> last year. Seven innings at first base last year. So he may have first base eligibility in your league if he does bully for you. Uh, in most leagues, he's a DH only. So that puts the bar even even higher for what offense he needs to provide you. So as long as he's putting up you know, this level of power, this launch angle in particular, I have a hard time with him in shallow leagues. Uh, deeper leagues, obviously, I think he still needs to be rostered. But, you know, th- this is worrisome. It's funny because as I go down this list of names, we're fighting a lot of perceptions. We're fighting the perceptions that Nelly Cruz is so consistent and so dependable. And we have to kind of fight that uh, that stereotype at this point. And Teoscar Hernandez is considered a slugger and a slugger only. That's basically what people think of him. But he's actually a better hitter than we give him credit for. He's hitting 357 over the last two weeks with a homer and nine RBIs. He is, he is very hot right now. And I think... A lot of that is probably due to the injury that took him out from, uh, it was April 13th to May 7th. So right when we're, we're getting going, he played a handful of games and then he gets hurt and he's on the IL for close to a month. So he had no, no spring training to begin with and then has to kind of restart again. So it sort of makes sense to me that it's just the last two or three weeks that Hernandez has heated up. Uh, but Hernandez is able to put up pretty good batting averages on some very weird contact data. I mean, he's a he's a borderline 70% contact rate guy. And the, the chase rate has actually gotten worse over the last handful of years, as has a swing strike rate. So he can put up high batting averages. He also can throw up a few years like uh, 2018 and 2019, where he hits in the 230s. Um, so this year's 223 is not completely out of the realm of possibility for it to be a season-long thing. I don't think it is. But, you know, he's he's a more of a power guy than he is a contact guy, whereas a lot of the guys on this list are both. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily classify Hernandez as that. Has a little bit of speed. You know, he'll, he'll throw in a half dozen steals a year probably. Last year he stole a dozen. Certainly wouldn't expect that going forward. He's not a super successful base dealer. So um, I the exit velocity is down a mile an hour. Fly balls continue to be down. Line drive rate's down 10% this year. I think a lot of that is just sort of small-ish sample size stuff because he's only at 120 at-bats. Um, but, you know, he is a kind of guy that has outperformed his peripherals enough over the last handful of years that I'm always just a smidge skeptical of what he can do. But his profile is incredibly weird, as you mentioned, because he's had a couple seasons in the 230s. His last two seasons have been 289 and 296. He hit 296 with 32 homers and 550 at-bats last year. You don't luck your way into that, I don't think, especially when you've done it a couple years in a row. But here's the thing. The expected batting average always lined up with the batting average. He hit yep. you know, he hit in the 230s and 239 and 18, 230 and 19, and his expecting batting average was 230 and 234. Last year in 220, he hit 289. Last year he hit 296. His expected batting averages were 296 and 284. It takes almost a complete 
variants of profile to do that. And you just don't see that in players. No, he's a really unique guy because he has exit velocity. And he, until this year, had a really good batted ball profile. Not a huge pull rate. It went into the uh, well above average range a few times. And then sometimes it was down in the average range. Uh, but decent amount of line drives the last couple of years. And that's really what has done it. If you look at his early career line drive percentages, probably averaged somewhere around 19 to 20%. The last few years were 26 and 25.5%. So this year he's back down, in fact, down even further to 16% line drive weight. And now you're seeing a pretty terrible batting average. It surprises me that the stat cast expected batting average is 268 with that line drive rate, uh, with an exit velocity that is down, a barrel rate that's down, and a hard hit rate that's down. So I'm, I, I don't know exactly how they make the sausage there, so to speak. Yeah, uh, but it, it doesn't make sense to me. I feel like this is a year where the expected batting average should be more down around league average in the 230s or 240s than up towards 270. Uh, but I think that's the thing with Tiascar is that even when he's struggling, he puts up a high barrel rate. He gets to the barrel as much as any hitter that is inconsistent that I know of. But this is similar to uh, Nelson Cruz, who we just talked about, where the launch angle is down, ground ball rate is up considerably. I just think a lot of line drives are being turned into ground balls at this rate, I, even some fly balls, because his fly ball rate is down lower than it should be. I don't mm-hmm. think that's an approach change. I think maybe, well, maybe not an approach change, but let's phrase it in another way. I think it might have been a reaction to what was going on. I, of course, he had a slow start, as you said, with the injury and missed a lot of spring. And this is just a, a situation of you throw up a lot. I would have to see the game logs and go into splits by month and weeks and things like that. But I'm guessing he probably compiled a lot of that ground ball percentage early on until he got things going a little bit. Uh, to an extent, he did, yes. And I think that we, we do need to be careful in taking a look at uh, Teoscar because a lot of these things that we're looking at don't stabilize until 150 to 200 plate appearances, and he's not there yet. Right. So I think if we go out another few weeks and he remains as hot as he is right now, all these numbers are going to look a lot different and we'll be making different conclusions from them. So um, I feel like Hernandez is a a good player. I think last year could have been sort of a career year-ish performance for him, especially in terms of batting average. Um, And I think people are going to value him based on that, where I think that's sort of his ceiling. So I'm, I don't want to say non-plus because that kind of casts him in a negative light for my opinion of him. I don't have a negative opinion of him. I just think he might be a smidge overvalued. He hit a ground ball percentage of 59, let's call it 60%, 59.6% in May. So far in June, it's 391 So he's, he's pulling that back. That's regressing back to a, to a more normal rate for him. Yeah, and I would expect to go out another week or two, and that'll be even lower. Yep. Fly ball percentage is only 28.8 in May and it's uh, 39.1 in June. So I think either he was going through going through a stretch, players go through stretches, and of course the whole delayed start to the season and the disruption in his ramp up probably contributed to this quite a bit. Yeah, I would say there's no doubt about that. All right. A guy we had written off, I had written off early in the spring, Joey Votto, has <laughs> rebounded in a big way. And we basically uh, wrote off the Reds overall. And Joey Votto was a big part of that and had a miserable start to the season. Over the last two weeks, he's hitting 317 with four homers and 14 RBIs. Yeah, you know, maybe it's a little early to write off the Reds. Uh, they've got some interesting... Uh, Votto's well, not sure. writing them off anymore, but it, it, was, <laughs> right. it was too early when we did. It was too early, but man, I mean, what a horrible start. Just across yeah. the board, a horrible start. But I, you see, I'm sure you noticed Graham Ashcraft's start again last night. Yeah. 
Never has a man done so much with so little. <laughs> Another just four Ks and like gave up nothing and he didn't walk anybody. So I'm really getting impressed by him. But I digress. Kyle Hendricks reincarnated, even if even yeah, right. Kyle Hendricks hasn't passed yet. <laughs> Kyle Hendricks with the exact opposite kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but, you know, Cincinnati, we, we were watching them uh, first three weeks of the season. They were 30th in offense. First five, six weeks of the season, they were in the bottom five in offense. They are now 16th in offense. And I fully, fully expect them to enter the top 15 here in the next week and probably kind of sit between 10 and 15 for a while and check out their their home and away splits in terms of runs scored. Cincinnati is scoring more runs at home than Colorado is. Hmm. Six runs per game. Wow. Yeah, pretty stunning. Yeah. So that is another, I mean, it's almost gotten to the point because their road runs per game is 29th in baseball in ahead of only Detroit. So maybe this is just the great American ballpark starting to play like the great American ballpark. Cause I saw that game last night, a little bit of it and 14 runs were scored on not a plethora of hard hit balls. <laughs> so I think we have to be careful. Park effects are super important, but as far as Joey Votto goes, it's pretty interesting. You know, he's 38 years old, and again, we're just seeing what we hypothesize to be possibly a new baseball over the last three weeks or so. Um, but last year, Joey Votto's exit oh, are, we, are, was we, are we theorizing that at this point, new baseball? I'm, I'm theorizing that, yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, it's like when they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Like, look <laughs> at what's new. You know, right. Yeah. Take take out all the stuff that is the same and look at what happened that's new and there's probably your cause. So, I mean, there was a little bit of a weather improvement, but weather doesn't change run scoring like by 75%. So no. I, something else is clearly up and they've been sort of whispering about it for a long time. I think it has to be the thing that is is the variable here. But, you know, with Vado, he was up five and a half miles an hour in exit velocity last year. Spent his entire 30s going from between 90 and 87 and a half in exit velocity. So somewhere within a mile and a half of average, basically, every year. Then last year, he was so vastly above average and put up a barrel rate almost double of what he did every other year. It was just staggering. And now this year, he's dropped three and a half miles an hour again to this point. So it feels like he's he's given back about 60 to 65% of the gains from last year. But I've been watching him the last week or two, and you know he looks like he did last year. The fly ball rate's up four years in a row, which is clearly speaks to a guy that is reaching for power and mm -hmm. has been for a while. And if you look, you know he's batting 198, slugging 389. The stat cast expected data is only 212 and 422. So he has not hit well. He's just started to hit home runs and mostly at home. Just to back up your point on that fly ball percentage, March, April, 32.6%, May, 48%. So far in June, 59%. That's fly ball percentage is hard contact percentage, not hard hit percentage, hard contact because we don't have month by month stat cast splits here. Hard percentage, 18.6 in March and April. Well, there was no March. So April, 44% in May, 50% in June so far. Yeah, I mean, not just that, but looking at the month-by-month -month data, he slashed 129, 291, 143 slugging in April. Then 278, 395, 639 in May, mm -hmm. 284, 720 in June. 
51% ground ball rate in April, 24% in May, 32% in June. And as you mentioned, 18 and a half hard in, in April, 44 in May, 50 in June. So he has definitely heated up over the past month, much like Jose Abreu, to be honest. Yep. Um, but and I think you, that the indicators are a little more sketchy for Votto than they are for Abreu. I'm a little less confident. But when we talked about him and we talked about him in the spring, we talked about this, that you could look at age decline here, except for the fact that it was basically from a quality of contact standpoint, a career career year last year in 2021. He came up with that 92, nine, let's call it 93 mile an hour exit velocity. And you just don't hit that decline over the course of an off season. This, what we're seeing in June looks a little bit more like the 2021 uh, Joey Votto, which is if we can get something close to that and you gotta, you gotta understand he's not a batting average guy anymore. He's, right. he's just reaching for power. He's going to hit some home runs and he's going to contribute. And I'll tell you what, in the first base position at this point, at the price you get him, it's going to be a good size contribution. But he's, he is hitting 279 since the beginning of May. Yep. So while he's not a 300 hitter anymore, but 279, what's the, I wonder what the league average is uh, since May 1. It's not that. It might no. be 250 to 260. Yep. So he can still be a plus there. He's just not a leader there. Uh, but I, I do think, I think Votto is, he's below Jose Abreu on my list for rest of season. But is he a worthy corner infielder in standard leagues, which would make him basically be a top 18 first baseman? Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, so he can be, he could be a first baseman on your roster. I think you'd be okay with the power. You're going to have to give up a little, some batting average. His expected batting average last year was 274. He had 266. By the way, in baseball at this point, 266, you'll take that, especially if you're going to get and you're not going to get 30 homers out of him this year, but he hit 36 home runs last year in 448 at-bats and hit 266. I'll take the 266 with the 36 homers. Thank you, especially at first base. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's it's funny. We Again, I keep coming back to this. We, we don't think of the Great American Ballpark like we think of Coors Field in terms of benching people when they're not at home. But Joey Votto is 222, 402, 492 at home with more walks than strikeouts and an ISO of 270 this year, despite the horrible, horrible April. On the road, he's 176, 273, 294 with four times as many strikeouts as walks. These things, and we'll get to a guy in a minute, that I'm, I'm almost at the point of really benching a lot of my Reds and Rockies when they're not at home. Well, we've been talking about this with the Rockies for a long time, and now the Reds are showing us that, and Joey Votto has basically bought into the ballpark. It's kind of like, I'm going to be a power hitter at home because I'm playing in a bandbox, and on the road, I'm a 38-year-old hitter. Yeah, uh, 42.5% pull at home, 39.5% pull on the road, line drive rate much higher on the road, where he's probably trying to make contact and hit singles on the road, and at home, he's willing to let it fly more of a contact guy on the road and, and more of the power guy at home. Yeah. yeah. yeah go, go out in a blaze of glory, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, why not? You got that ballpark, try to hit some home runs. And by the way, he posted a terrific season last year. And you know, again, 36 homers, 99 RBIs and the 266 batting average. And that was only 448 at bats. Imagine what he could have done if he had 500 at bats or 520 or 540 at bats. Absolutely. Like except I think those days are over. He's, he's become a little injury prone. Yeah. Oh, the 400, you mean the uh, 500 of bat days? Yeah, it's just likely that he's going to get dinged up during the course of the year. He's already missed some time this year, I think 10 games. Well, again, National League's going to DH as well. He's only had three games at DH. That's something he might be able to take more advantage of as he, as the season gets longer. 
And I don't know if he goes into next year or not. He's yeah, his contract goes to 2023. So he's got one more year on this contract. So he's going to play another year as he adds DH games. Maybe that helps him with his bat totals. I hope it does. And I'd love to see him get to 400 homers because I feel like he's a surefire hall of famer in my book. All right, Chris Taylor, number 22 on the list of offensive runs above average. Over the last 14 days, he's hit 289 in that span with a pair of homers and six RBIs. Yeah, Chris Taylor's a really neat little player. Um, again, one of these guys on, on this list that may or not may or may not be owned in your league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's hit 20 homers twice. He's stolen 10 bases twice. Um, generally has an average that's sort of not really helping, not really hurting. Uh, but the... Swiss Army knife eligibility that he usually carries is pretty useful. And I know you're like I am loving guys like this. Yep. They don't hurt you offensively, and you can plug in anywhere to fill in for injuries and things. But Taylor has never been a power guy. You know, he, he gets his home runs just sort of randomly, hits a lot of line drives. His career line drive rate is 25%. So it's always been surprising to me that he has not carried higher batting averages. And it's mostly because he swings and misses a lot more than people think that he does. Swing strike rate for his career is 13.5%. And that's the problem this year is the swing strike rate is 19%. His contact rate is cratered from around 70, which is career average of 71, to 60.5%. And it's not because he's chasing more, not nope. appreciably anyway. He's a half a percent higher than he was last year. He's just swinging and missing. He's so, reaching for power. He, he shows the profile of a guy reaching for power. Yeah, he definitely does. And the exit velocity is up a mile an hour, highest of his, well, I assume of his career. Yeah. Uh, 89.2, so he's right about league average now, which doesn't really impress people. But, okay, I mean, he's league average. And look at the pull percentages the last few years. He went from a low 30s pull percentage to 45.5 last year, 46 this year. Fly ball rates are borderline career highs, 41.5% last year, 39.5% this year. The ground ball rate's down a ton, which is great. His line drive rate is 29% this year. It's fantastic. Helps support that 374 Babbitt, but the contact rate is just crushing the average. And I'm not super enthused here, except the eligibility is great. And launch angle from 9.1 in 2020 to 17.4 in 19.9, which he had a 16.4 in 2018, but these are career highs and show just trying to manufacture lift in here. But I almost think there's a little bit more to be had here because that 19.2% swing strike percentage that you talked about is so out of character for him that you think it's going to come back a little bit towards his career norm, which is about 13.5, and it was 13.9 in 2021. I think that's where he starts to walk back towards, too, which I think is going to be a plus for him overall in his game. I think that's the outlier at this point, and I think it's just basically a slow start. And if he was trying to reach for power, and he was trying to reach for power at Dodger Stadium and in the National League West in April of this year— and wherever the hell, wherever else uh, Los Angeles was in that April schedule, you you could see where it could get a little bit frustrating. It could get a little bit wild for him. So hopefully, as he gets more results, that swing strike rate will calm down a little bit, and the the reaching for power will calm down a, a little bit. I hope so. And you know, if we are really truly using a different ball now than we were before, I think you'll see that happen. Um, because you're right, that amount of degradation in the swing strike rate is very uncharacteristic of any player to go from the 13 to 14% range to 19 is it's a huge jump. So I do expect to see that calm down. I think the average will climb a bit. Uh, and if he can continue to hit line drives at this rate, 
he's probably going to have a close to a career high batting average, which is 288 for him. All right. Brendan Rogers is hitting 260 on the air. He's got six homers, but he's been hard over the last couple of weeks. He has because they've been at home. So, you know, Brendan Rogers is the other guy that I was alluding to uh, when I mentioned home road splits before. Uh, I might as well just just read those off and be done with Brendan Rogers. <laughs> home home uh, split for this year, 293, 341, 526. Very useful player. Road split, 197, 246, 213. He has a double and nothing else for extra base hits on the road. Only 61 at-bats, but come on. And at home, he has 116 at-bats and ten, uh, nine doubles and six homers. So Coors Field, very powerful. That's about all I have to say. I mean, Brennan Rogers, I, I, I'm really with Rockies. They don't start for me on the road. They don't have anybody currently on that roster that I want to start on the road. I'm just I'm I'm looking at the uh, the other splits on the road. Ground ball percentage away from home is 60. percent It's 47.7 at home. Fly ball rate 35 at home. 25 on the road. Uh, home at a fly ball 20 percent at home. Zero percent on the road. And it's just these guys become different hitters on the road. Well, they do, and uh, they've actually a bunch of DFS people have basically targeted the Rockies every time they go on the road because they call it the Coors Hangover, and they've even extended it to teams that just played in Coors because just for whatever reason, sure. you feel like the ball is going to fly there and you alter your swing a little bit and it just it takes a little bit to get back into it. Maybe a series, maybe less, maybe a little more. But I do feel like that is a thing. If you watch it, there's statistical data to back it up. I think, like I said, I mean, there's not a Rocky that I would start on the road and I'm starting to get that way with a lot of the Reds too. It's like the other thing we downplay with that is, of course, the ballpark plays better in Colorado than it does anywhere else in the majors, except for Cincinnati, possibly. Uh, but the ball reacts differently from the pitchers. The curveballs are different. Sliders are different. Breaking All the breaking stuff is different than it is. Even life on the fastball is different at course than it is away from uh, away from home for the Rockies. They're seeing spinners that are a lot more effective than they used to. You go 10 days at home. Or you go a seven-game uh, homestand and then go out on the road and start seeing some of the sliders, how they react in a normal environment. It's got to be a, a little bit daunting for them to adjust to. Oh, I would think so. And, you know, I don't have the studies in front of me, but I've read enough of them that I know that the effect is material and significant. So bench your Rockies, bench your Reds when they're on the road. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm less certain about that with the Reds, but there does seem to be a pretty significant disparity as well. Although... And you go as far with the Rockies as C.J. Cron. I, I go with, with everybody. We you talked about everybody. this a weekend or two ago, right when he hit a home run when we said it. <laughs> That's um, right. it literally, so, as you said it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. While I was saying that sentence, he hit a home run. <laughs> but, you know, just look at the splits. The Rockies score 5.8 runs per game at home, 3.05 on the road. Cincinnati scores almost six runs per game at home, 2.8 on the road. And, yes, with Cincy – they had a long homestand that coincided with when they heated up. So, I mean, which effect is there? I don't know. Being at home is certainly helpful for them. Uh, I'm not quite as convinced that you have to bench everyone on the road. Tyler Stevenson, pretty useful still on the road. Yep. Tommy Pham, I tend to play on the road. Nick Senzel's not really the kind of player that is affected by those sorts of things. But a lot of them, like Joey Votto, I would consider benching on the road. And the Rockies, okay. certainly, every single one of them. Another angle of the... Uh 
uh, of the strategy that we're talking about a lot more lately on Fantastics, both here on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio and on the podcast, is that season stats don't tell you enough of the story. They tell you a lot of the story, to be sure, but you have to look into splits. And we've been concentrating the last couple of days, Skylar and I, the last couple of times we've been together on splits over the last month or over the last 28 days or 21 days or seven days, whatever your commissioner sites uh, provide to you. It's always good to check those home road splits. It's always good to check that. We've been advocating this, Skylar, for pitchers for years that you need to know where your pitchers excel and where they don't down to the ballpark. And, you know, being a work in the Boston market up here, I remember quite clearly how Clay Buckholz used to love uh, the Rogers Center mound. He used to love it. And he always pitched so well at that mound. And that, that was something you could depend on. It became a good DFS thing for me for a while when he was pitching in Toronto. But more often than not, that's a home road split. You come accustomed to your home mound. But you need to know where your pitchers excel and where they don't, especially in these days of streaming. Maybe we have to start thinking more in those terms, be more like the Tampa Bay Rays, and think more like streaming on a part of our rosters on the hitters as well. Your good hitters you're going to play, but there are plenty of opportunities on your roster to put guys in situations where they excel. Absolutely. Whether it's from number of games that week, uh, expected starting pitchers that they face, which we have a great 14-day projected rotation uh, deal that uh, is is very valuable for these. With a lineup writer so that you get a rating on each of your hitters. You can load in as many teams as you want and you get a lineup for the upcoming week. And we pay a lot of attention to those uh, scheduled starting pitchers going out 14 days. And again, it's not something we're just pulling news and putting it on there. That's something we pay a lot of attention to so you can do it accurately so that you can, on some of these marginal hitters in your lineup, you can make some good decisions based on what you know about what their strength schedule is. Yep, absolutely. I mean, these are things, this could be the difference between winning a title and finishing second or third. These little decisions that you make on things that other people are just going to gloss over and say, oh, I'm playing this guy. His year-long stats look good. Yeah, it's back to compete level. It's back to finding the edge everywhere you can find an edge, whether it be replacing your, your catcher with Kirk at this point, who's a guy you may not have had on your radar, and you say, my catcher is my catcher. I'm okay. I'm not even looking at my catcher position. I'm, I'm not even worried about that because I got bigger fish to fry. No, you don't. Upgrade any position you can upgrade and upgrade it by using a platoon, upgrade it by using hot hands, upgrade it any way you can. Yep, you are absolutely correct. All right, Lou Blassie, Skylar Dombarski, the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Check out our blog at insideofbaseball.com. There's the baseball blog link at the top of the page. Samples of the player notes we send out to our subscribers. Samples of our coaches meeting. There's several great analytics articles in there as well if you want to dig through the pile on our writers. And, of course, the Inside of Baseball podcast, all past episodes, all free to non-subscribers. Everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you next time on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go.